welcome to Star Trek Age of Discovery. I'm Adele Austin Anderson. And I'm Gary Anderson. And we're a married couple who are longtime fans of Star Trek. This week, we continue our examination of our favorite episodes, season by season, of our favorite Star Trek series, Deep Space Nine. After our review, we will end our podcast with the latest Star Trek news. As an explanation, um, these episodes we've chosen are not always the best known or most action-packed. Instead, each of these episodes explore something new or distinct regarding a particular character's growth, a new corner of the Star Trek universe, or an examination of a social ill. DS9 was promoted as a show that would re-envision the Star Trek lore, and we believe the episodes we've chosen help develop DS9 into the best Star Trek series to date. So, Gary, let's begin with our synopsis of our season two pick entitled Necessary Evil. Sure. Vatrick Palra, a Bajoran woman, hires Cork, the owner of the DS9 bar, to retrieve a box hidden in the former shop of her now-deceased husband when the station was controlled by the Cardassians. Cork enlists the help of his brother, Rom, to carry out the clandestine heist. Opening the box, they find a list of names written in the Bajoran language. Rom leaves his brother's side to retrieve a camera to take a photo of the list. However, while he was gone, a Bajoran named Trotsko shoots Quark and absconds with the list. After he is found, Quark is brought to sickbay to receive treatment, but barely clings to life. Odo, the DS9 security chief, is tasked with solving the mystery of who assaulted Quark and what did the list of names signify. Through a series of flashbacks, it's revealed there is a connection between this crime and the murder of Vatrick's husband five years earlier. At that time, Odo was solicited by Cardassian Commander Goldacott to solve that mystery. Taking on the charge, Odo questions a young Kira Nerys, who had been a recent arrival to the station. However, she bribed Quark to produce a false alibi of her whereabouts. Kira later admits she had been involved in perpetuating a terrorist attack on the station, but not murder. Odo reports to Gold Dukat that Kira was innocent of the crime. The murder goes unsolved. Back in the present day, Trotsko attempts to kill Quark in sickbay after the attempt is thwarted, Odo goes to Vatrick and asks why she had sent a large sum of money to Trasco's bank account. Despite the implication, Vatrick tells him she did not kill her husband. Odo tells her, I know. Odo goes to Kira with his suspicion that she had killed Vatrick's husband since he was a collaborator with the Cardassians along with other Bajorans. As a member of the resistance, Kira killed Vatrick's husband after he found out she was trying to steal the list of Bajoran collaborators. Odo also realized that once the list was retrieved by Trotsko, Vatrick used the list to blackmail the surviving former collaborators. 
Odo re- realizes Dukat had asked him to investigate the crime so the Cardassian commander would not be connected to the collaborators on the list. Kira confessed she had killed Vatrix's husband and told Odo she did not admit to it earlier out of fear it would affect their friendship. When Kira asked if she if he could ever trust her again, Odo does not answer. Mm. All right, so the looking at the credits, Necessary Evil was written by Peter Allen Fields and directed by James L. Conway. Coincidentally, this is the second week in a row we unknowingly chose to highlight an episode by the same writer-director team. As you may recall from last week's episode, Fields was a veteran television scriptwriter and producer known for over two dozen shows. In the Star Trek universe, he is best known for his work on The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. James L. Conway was an acclaimed film and television director as well as a producer. Concerning the Star Trek universe, Conway was an avid fan of the original series and directed 18 episodes over four series, including Next Generation, DS9, Voyager, and Enterprise. Okay, so now let's turn to the analysis. The theme of Necessary Evil is Deceit. Odo investigates an attempt on Quark's life and soon finds out that it's connected to an unsolved case from his past. In his search for the truth, everyone that Odo encounters in the present or the past deceives him in some way, either by misrepresenting the truth or concealing their real motivations. Necessary Evil is structured as if it was a film noir. Noir films were a popular trend in American cinema between 1941 and the early 1950s. The movement was inspired by the hard-hitting pulp fiction of the 1930s. Visually, the cinematography style was known for using dark, oppressive lighting techniques that bathed everyone and everything in shadow. That was insinuating that things were being hidden, and you can see that evidence in how this episode was shot. Noir stories were filled with surprising plot twists and characters of questionable morals. The protagonist reflected a bleak or jaded view of humanity, believing everyone is corrupt or corruptible. There was usually something or someone who was missing or needed to be found. Also, Many of the stories had an obsession with the past that could lead to the use of flashbacks, which are evident in this story. All of this is apparent in Necessary Evils. Odo is our protagonist. He is the dogged investigator searching for the truth in both the present as well as the past. In the episode's cold opening, we're introduced to a Bajoran woman, Vatric Palra, standing by a window on a dark and stormy night, enveloped in shadow, with only random flashes from lightning strikes illuminating her. Vatrick uses her sex appeal as well as the offer of five bars of gold-pressed latinum to entice Quark into retrieving something hidden in her dead husband's former chemist shop on the station. But she has no intention of rewarding him with either. She is the femme fatale of this tale, bad but beautiful. 
Vatrick sends an assailant to kill Cork and steal the found item from him. It's this failed murder attempt on Quark's life that sets off everything that follows. Odo discovers that the assault on Quark is tied to a case from his past. The flashback sequences from five years ago give us our first look at the station under Cardassian control. The station is darker and more unpleasant, far more gates, guards, and restrictions in place than they have under the Federation. It's a sci-fi version of a seedy location found in several well-known noirs. Okay, so now let's look at Odo's first case. The benefit of a flashback episode is getting to see characters we believe we already know before they evolved into the version with which we've become most familiar. It can be enlightening to see who a character was before the events that shaped them into the person they became. That's the case here. In fact, Necessary Evil could be described as Odo's origin story as an investigator. It introduces us to Odo, who is a lonely outsider, not the confident dispenser of law and order we've, we see in the present. He is a silent observer of life, not a participant in it. This Odo quietly studies humanoids out of an attempt to understand them. At this point, he's known primarily for imitating a Cardassian neck trick for the amusement of his oppressors. With the same shape-shifting abilities, his people will conquer the entire Gamma Quadrant and be perceived as gods. Odo uses those skills to do parlor tricks. Hmm. The station's prefect, Galdicott, picked Odo to look into the murder of the Bajoran chemist, the same dead chemist who was married to Vatric. It's an odd choice since the shapeshifter has no experience in detective work. Ducat tries to convince him it's because he is seen as unbiased. Odo is a neutral party to both Cardassians and Bajorans. That gives him credibility that will aid in the outcome of the investigation, regardless of how it goes. In truth, Ducat wants the investigation to be seen as somewhat independent from his office. He wants to use Odo's familiarity with Bajorans to uncover the identity of the murderer faster than Ducat would get through torture. His interest in finding the killer is greater than Ducat wants to reveal. Necessary Evil also shows how Odo first met Quark and Kira, both of whom developed significant relationships with him throughout the succeeding seasons of the show. In fact, it's easy to see how Odo's relationship with both Quark and Kira are shaped by this first encounter. Vatrick puts Odo into Kira's trail by claiming her husband was having an affair. When Odo interviews Kira, her story is that the man was kind to her, sharing some of his luxuries with her. It's from this conversation that Odo starts to realize that Vatrick's husband wasn't just a simple chemist. He had private quarters when most Bajorans did not. He also had access to special teas and other perks. Still, Odo catches Kira in a lie, which raises his suspicions. 
it changes the tenor of their conversation from fact-finding to a veiled threat. You're not planning on leaving the station soon. If I were, would you have the Cardassians stop me? Yes. Then I'm not planning on leaving the station soon. Necessary Evil also lets us witness the first time Odo is called Constable. It's used by Kira, and she doesn't mean it as a title of respect. She admonishes him for working with the Kardashians. When Odo denies it and states that he's just a neutral party seeking justice and truth, when it comes in conflict between the Bajorans and the Kardashians, Kira responds. Let me tell you something. Unofficially or not, you're working for the Cardassians. Sooner or later, you're going to have to choose whose side you're on. I don't choose sides. Everyone has to choose sides, Constable. As Odo, Renee Aubergenoir's subtle performance in this scene tells us this comment gets to him. It's an admonishment that is subtext. That Kira believes there is something one can be moved to fight for, even at the risk of personal harm. She contradicts his general impression of the of that most humans he's encountered. This thought will play into the next meeting between Odo and Kira later on in the episode. Kira's alibi is that she was meeting with Quark about employment at his bar around the time of the murder. Odo goes to Quark to verify it. Instead, he finds out that this is a lie. When Quark is talking, he notices a few behavioral changes in him that signal he is lying. This also makes the second time Kira has lied to him. Interviewing Quark gives him a lead in the case he didn't want. Odo has to acknowledge that she is untrustworthy. And also his prime suspect. Right. (laughs) The Ferengi admits to having been paid to provide Kira with the alibi. By fabricating a meeting with Quark as a cover story, Kira helps to identify his dishonest and transactional nature. It shows that Quark will do anything for a price. The only thing that can make him speak honestly is fear that he will be harmed, either physically or materially. In a traditional noir, Cork would be played by Peter Lorre. (laughs) Cork is the type of person who is there to reinforce Odo's poor opinion of humanoids. Ironically, it's Cork's willingness to do anything for a price that almost got him killed. Hmm. Odo gets agitated with Cork when he lies about Kira servicing him and again, when Ferengi, the Ferengi offers Odo some female companionship. It seems to be Quark's characterization of Kira as immoral that angers him. Odo becomes angered again when Quark attempts to bribe him. The tense scene is broken up by Ducat, who appears to be keeping a close watch over Odo's investigation. When Odo informs Ducat that he's found Kira's alibi to be a lie, the Cardassian wants to arrest her immediately. For some reason, Dukat's intense interest in this case doesn't seem to make Odo question why. 
What does move him to stand up to the prefect is when he threatens to arrest Kira. But it's as if Dukat wants an excuse to pick her up because he has some unspoken confidence as to her guilt. Odo pushes back on Dukat's request with a resoluteness that was absent in their first encounter. This is the first time Odo chooses to protect Kira from Dukat, but it is for his own satisfaction that he will need to talk to her again. The final flashback scene is when we see Odo calling Kira to his office to be questioned further. The fact that she's continued to lie to him about her whereabouts should make her his prime suspect, or at least a person of interest. Yet, something is causing him to falter on that step. She admitted to having lied to him before. He presses her further on the details of her whereabouts on the night of the murder. In her first attempt to cover her tracks, Kira says she was asleep when the murder happened, but Odo quickly brushes it away as another fabrication. This time, he sees changes in her face the physical evidence that she's lying. Cornered, Kira responds in a strategic but deflecting way. Once again, she confronts Odo with deciding on which side he's going to be on. He aggressively rejects her premise that his options are binary. He falls back on the stock argument that he is an outsider. When Kira states that her true purpose for being on the station was to sabotage the or processor to give the workers a simple reprieve from the harsh labor in the mines. Odo is able to put pull up evidence that such an explosion actually occurred. She tells him she feared being arrested and killed by Dukat if her actions were revealed. Odo re- releases her just when Dukat enters his office, asking if she is the Bajoran who lied. In an act that shows Odo clearly taking a side, he stands up for Kira and professes that she's innocent of the crime. It doesn't sit well with Dukat, but he chooses to not pursue the matter further. The case goes unsolved. In the present, we get another voiceover by Odo to share with us all he has observed after revisiting his first case. He says, there's no room in justice for loyalty or friendship or love. Justice, as the humans like to say, is blind. I used to believe that. I'm not sure I can anymore. And that's a really cryptic statement to be making. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, especially when you're a security (laughs) officer. I know, I know. After another attempt is made on Quark's life by Patrick's assassin, Odo has all the pieces he needs to close this case. He arrests both Vatrick and her hired hand. When she professes her innocence in her husband's murder, Odo confirms that he knows she didn't do that crime. Which brings us back to Kira. Now, Major Kira, the Bajoran first officer to Sisko and Odo's closest friend. At the heart of Odo's investigation into the attack on Quark was a list of Bajoran names of some unknown value that is desired by more than one party. 
Through his investigation, he discovers that it's a list of Cardassian sympathizers and collaborators. Kira's true purpose for being on the station five years ago was to uncover that list of Madurans who were helping the Cardassians. She found out about the chemist and killed him when he discovered her searching his shop. She lied to Odo about it and continued to do so far beyond the point it was necessary. So now let's look at the performances, specific performances in this episode. What makes Necessary Evil work so well is Rene Aubergeois' convincing performance as both the reluctant early career investigator and his more self-assured, jaded version in the present. In either time period, we see his talents. He owns every moment, no matter how many modes the script throws at him, subdued and looking away when he first meets with Dukat, growing hesitantly into the role of investigator as he questions Vatrick and Kira and Cork, his barely restrained impatience when questioning Rom, his more, much more assured questioning of Vatrick in her home and his philosophical ramblings in log entries that he resents having to do this in the first place. Ironically, in his opening monologue, Odo spends several moments questioning the usefulness of a log, describing it as a waste of time, before committing to it for the entire episode. Writer Peter Allen Fields has Odo used the conventions in the same way as Raymond Chandler's detective Philip Marlowe would in the 1930 Pulp Fiction novels that inspired film noir. He documents observations, catalogs information, acquired or admonishes himself or someone else for their lapse in judgment. Another actor that should be acknowledged is Max Rodenchik as Quark's brother, Rom. He single-handedly delivers all of the humor of this episode. And it is. He's funny every time he's on the screen. Oh, yeah. Uh, Nana Visitor as Kira is also wonderful in this episode. In the past, she plays tough, cryptic, then vulnerable in rapid succession, and convincingly so. She does whatever she needs to keep herself out of Dakot's hands, even when that means manipulating Odo. Kira as a terrorist, is only concerned with achieving her mission. In the present, she's Major Kira um, and a, a colleague and friend of Odo's. She fears the damage her betrayal might have done to their relationship. The last scene in the episode reveals the price this incident has cost their fresh friendship. Kira asks Odo, Will you be able to trust me in the same way again? The scene ends without him answering her question. So here are our, our final thoughts. Necessary Evil works on multiple levels as a noir, with Odo fully committed to his role as investigator in both the present and the past. As a flashback story that fleshes out several of the characters, Odo and Kira specifically, through a story that concluded in a way that has real ramifications for their relationship. Deep Space Nine's signature trait was deep character development, and this episode is a shining example of it. The series would explore Odo's past as a law enforcement officer under the Cardassians 
only once more in the episode Things Pass, the eighth episode from season five. Much praise has been lauded on Strange New Worlds for breaking traditions and dabbling in genre-swapping episodes in both their seasons. One week, the show features a horror story motif. The next is a comedy with Lower Decks characters showing up in three dimensions. Or a week after that, we are entertained by a musical episode. But Necessary Evil shows that the concept is not new to the world of Star Trek. In addition, it might be odd that we've chosen two episodes in a row that didn't prominently feature Benjamin Sisko. As much as we admire Avery Brooks and his performance as Sisko, the truth is his better episodes don't really begin until the latter part of the third season. But it's the last four seasons of the show where his talents shine the most. We will be getting to those episodes very soon. So as an honorable mention for season two, we have chosen the 22nd episode entitled The Wire. Dr. Bashir tries to get, save Garrick, the Cardassian Taylor's life, when a device implanted in his head is allevi- to alleviate pain in the event of torture begins to malfunction and is slowly killing him. Throughout the episode, Garrick tells Bashir contradicting stories about his past. Bashir learns the tech in Garrick's head is connected to the Absidian Order, the feared and ruthless Cardassian intelligence agency. Bashir contacts Inabran Tain, the former head of the Order. Initially, Tain advises Bashir to allow Garrick to die. Tain later relents and provides Bashir the information needed to counteract the effects of the implant. Garrick subsequently recovers from his ailment. Our analysis of the episode. The Wire is a deep dive into Garrick's backstory where we learn DS9's resident Taylor is in exile from the Obsidian Order. Written by Robert Hewitt Wolfe, and directed by Kim Friedman. The episode showcases the acting talents of both Alexander Siddig as Dr. Bashir and Andrew Robinson as Garrick. The Wire is a powerhouse of dramatic writing, uh, an intimate character study capable of provoking tensions and ambiguities in the life of Garrick. The best exchange between the two comes late into the episode. You know, I still have a lot of questions to ask you about your past. I've given you all the answers I'm capable of. You've given me answers, all right. But they were all different. What I want to know is, out of all the stories you told me, which ones were true and which ones weren't? My dear doctor, they're all true. Even the lies. Especially the lies. Okay, so now let's move into Star Trek news. Gary, why don't you start us off? According to comicbook.com, Paramount Plus has released a new clip from the fifth season of Star Trek Discovery. Series star Sonequa Martin-Green and executive producer showrunner Michelle Paradise introduced the clip during the Brazil's Comic-Con Experience Conference in Sao Paulo. 
the clip shows Captain Burnham and Book on a away mission dealing with some large xenofauna with cloaking abilities. Wow. <laughs> Star Trek Discovery Season 5 will be the final season of the show, having launched when the platform was still called CBS All Access. Star Trek Discovery is one of Paramount Plus's longest-running original series. Season 5 will debut in April 2024. Oh, wow. That late, Gary? Yeah, that sucks. <laughs> According to the synopsis released by Paramount Plus, the fifth season will find Captain Burnham and the crew of the USS Discovery uncovering a mystery that will send them on an epic adventure across the galaxy to find an ancient power whose very existence has been deliberately hidden for centuries. But there are others on the hunt as well. Dangerous foes who are desperate to claim the prize for themselves and will stop at nothing to get it. Next up, let's talk about the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko. Seeing uh, we're doing this DS9 rewatch, makes it's appropriate for us to talk about it. Yes. In celebration of the 30th anniversary of Deep Space Nine, Titan Books published the autobiography of Benjamin Sisko, edited by science fiction writer Derek Tyler Attico. According to a press release, the book tells the story of Sisko's career in Starfleet, his life as a father, and Bajor's emissary to the prophets. It charts his rise through the ranks, his pioneering work designing the Defiant class, his critical role as ambassador and leader during the Dominion War, and his sacred standing as a religious leader of his adopted home. Through the book, one can explore the hidden history of his childhood and early career in Starfleet, as well as the innermost thoughts of the man who made first contact with wormhole aliens and opened safe passage to the Gamma Quadrant. He also brought together United Starfleet, Klingon, and Romulan forces to defeat the Dominion. Discover Sisko's personal take on his confidants, Lieutenant Dax and Major Kira Neris, the enigmatic Garrick, and his adversaries, Gold Dukat and Kai Wen, as well as his fatherly advice for his son, Jake. Passing on lessons from father to son, from his experiences with the prophets to the writings of Benny Russell, Sisko's story is a unique phenomenon in Star Trek and human history, told in a way only he can through the pen of author Derek Tyler Attico. Isn't that an interesting statement uh, in a press release? <laughs> uh, you can purchase the autobiography wherever you buy books. So in closing, we'll be back next in a couple of weeks, actually, with a review of Past Tense 1 and 2, a two-part DS9 story from season three that we feel is one of the best of the series. Before we sign off, we would like to remind you to share a link to Age of Discovery with people you know who enjoy Star Trek as well. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a comment over on iTunes for us. It can help us with attracting attention and new listeners. Until that time... Like, subscribe, and follow Star Trek Age of Discovery on X threads 
and Instagram at Star Trek AOD. On Facebook, at our Facebook page, Star Trek AOD, and at our website, StarTrekAOD.net, where we offer additional articles on Star Trek canon, interesting sidebar issues, and other aspects of the show. You may also email us at StarTrekAOD at gmail.com. But until then, live long and prosper.